the Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's the truth for the win. God, oh! they did it. A miracle. Hutchins. Double order. Hit that one from the parking lot. What's up, the Generation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by BetMGM. This is the Friday NCAA tournament betting preview. I'm Stucky, and joining me today are my co-host BJ Cunningham and the one and only Matty Cox from the Three Man Weave. We are going to go through every game chronologically on Friday from a betting perspective there are three tbd matchups we're recording this on tuesday late afternoon which we won't touch on but we'll have tons of content on actionnetwork.com and the action network app on every single game also if you haven't checked out the thursday betting preview with myself kai McEwen, and mike calabrese make sure you check that out and for the round of 32 we will have live Big bets on campus shows on Twitter, 1030 a.m. Eastern. So make sure you check out those out as well. We'll have Sean Kerner with some player prop gold for those shows as well. So let's dive into Friday. Matty Cox, we have it's Tuesday afternoon. We are getting closer, just pumping out content all week. It's going to still be a long day and a half till we get there are you starting to feel the the nerves yet yeah i mean brain power is completely extinct and uh, as you mentioned in our other uh other show it, we can break down every matchup angle we, we want but the team that goes 15 or 30 from three it just doesn't matter right so if you have that ability to look into the crystal ball and find out who that team will be um, let us know we'd like to be a part of that but uh, i don't have that currently so we'll have to we're left with matchup angles and value and spreads and all that good stuff so yeah best thing to do is break down the matchups yeah hope for the best the college basketball's gonna be a lot of three-point variants we'll side many of these games enjoy it bet responsibly as always and hope that the ball bounces your way but i'm excited to get into all of these games bj you're gonna actually be going to the tournament in des moines right yeah, me and uh, our editor, Pete Rudin, we're going to be on Media Row uh, for the first Thursday games. I believe it's Kansas Howard, Arkansas, Illinois. I might see Colin Wilson there. Uh, then Texas Colgate and finish it off with Penn State, Texas A&M. So it should be a really, really fun day. Beautiful. All right, for those of you in a hurry listening, we're going to go through every game very quickly and just give our favorite side total or pass before we get into every single game and break it down in depth. So let's start and go in chronological order. We'll go Matt, BJ, then myself throughout. USC, Michigan State. SC fight on for Matthew. Pass. Pass for me as of now. Kennesaw State, Xavier. Kennesaw for Matt. Pass for BJ. Kennesaw State, Al's all the way. UCSB, Baylor, Matty. Official pass for me. BJ? Gauchos plus 10.5 for BJ. I agree. Let's go AJ and BJ. VCU St. Mary's. Matty? VCU. BJ? Pass looking to bet VCU live. I concur. Vermont Marquette. Matty? 
Pass for me. Vermont plus 11 for BJ. Agree. Don't be shocked if that's close late. NC State, Creighton. Maddie? A slight lean to NC State, but uh, staying away, waiting for a better number. Creighton, minus five and a half for BJ. Lean Creighton myself. Iona, UConn? UConn. Pass for BJ. Mm, pass. Kentucky, Providence, Maddie? Uh, Providence lean for me. Under 145 and a half for BJ. I have no idea, but go Cats. Please win. Drake, Miami. Maddie? Jersey Drake. Des Moines, Iowa, plus two and a half for BJ. Three for three. Consensus. Grand Canyon, Gonzaga. Maddie? Lopes rising. Pass for BJ. Lean Lopes. End over. FAU, Memphis. Maddie? FAU lean. Can't bring myself to do it, though, against Memphis. Under 153 for BJ. Hold your nose. Lean Memphis for me as of now. Got to look further. Montana State, Kansas State. Maddie? Lean Montana State. Bobcats plus eight and a half for BJ. Maddie, you played Montana State last year, not this year? Come on. Bobs all the way. And finally, Kent State, Indiana. Maddie? Kent State flashes up. Pass for BJ. Lean under. Incredible performance. Shock and awe in college basketball. All right, let's get right in to the Friday slate. Let's start in the East region. First game in Columbus, Ohio. 12:15 Eastern on CBS. USC takes on Michigan State in a power conference matchup. Michigan State sitting at a one and a half point favorite here over under 137 and a half. Tom Izzo, a lot of success in the past in the tournament. Are you riding with the Izzo here or fading? Matt, let me throw it to you with your thoughts on this game. I'm fading the Izzone because uh, my guy Andy Enfield is to be trusted in postseason play. He's 10 and 2 against the number in the uh, NCAA tournament. Now, I know some of that coincides with the Florida Gulf Coast run, but he's been um, kind of in this double digit slot before. As a broader kind of macro take, the Pac 12 is a conference. It tends to do a lot better than some of these other more homogenous types of leagues like the Big Ten, the Mountain West, we've kind of thrown shade at too, but Pac 12. A lot of junk defenses, zones, mix and match. I think their ability to be multiple against a Big Ten team um, is going to be a pretty huge advantage here. And I just like the way this team's playing. They got Josh Morgan back recently, Reese Sticks and Waters. Boogie Ellis is criminally underrated as a guard. I think people, no one knows about him. Uh, so, yeah, I like SC. I think people are too enamored by the Izzo angle. Uh, I'm just not buying it. I'm on SC here. It's funny you mentioned the Pac-12. It's it seems like it's one of those conferences where everyone's like, I want to fade the Pac-12, right? But then they always have success in the tournament. Past yep. 10 years, most profitable conference in the tournament, the Pac-12. Wow. 55, 39, and two against the spread. One thing, yeah, with the points, I think this is more of a coin flip game. But with one thing that gives me pause with USC is, and there's across the board, there's and we'll talk about these. In a couple injuries, key injuries across the board that will impact a handful of these games. With USC, Drew Peterson, their senior guard, really important to their team. Um, he's been dealing with a little bit of a back issue. And they say he's fine. He was practicing. I mean, he went in his most recent game on March 9th. He's going to have about a week to recover here. He went 0 of 7 from 2. He didn't look like, like everything was short, um, which – 
would give me a little pause for concern, but they say he's practicing. He says he's going to be fine. Anything there if, if he's not doesn't look great early. Yeah, I was I was watching that. Um, and yeah, he did not look like himself. I was thinking the time off for the back would be a huge, it kind of would bring him back to at least 90%. He, honestly, under the good look if he's sort sort of hobbled, because he has such an important piece of that offense. I think his shot making, his playmaking, um, but it's just his length, even if he is banged up. So if he is out, maybe a late play on the under as a quasi hedge was where I was thinking here. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely someone to watch. And I think Michigan State, yeah, playing in the Big Ten, I know it's a season worth of results, but their opponents in Big Ten play shot 30% from three, and they shot 41.5%. I mean, that's an enormous gulf where you think that there's some potential looming regression, which, and, and some of those games, they were just making some tough shots. You saw that, though, a little bit against Ohio State, right? Ohio State went 10 of 19. And Michigan State went three of 16. So maybe that continues a bit for a yeah. team that just that did get very fortunate. Oh, Bohannon, way outside, launches the shot. Let's move on to our second game in the Midwest region. This will be between Kennesaw State and Xavier and Greensboro, 1240 Eastern on True TV. I tweeted out the other day, does True TV only exist for impractical joke? Like they, they the board sits down <laughs> at the beginning of the year and they're like, all right, here's our programming schedule. Impractical jokers every half hour. And then in March, we're going to show the first round and the first four of the NCAA tournament. So it's time to find where true TV is. If you aren't a avid impractical jokers watcher, because this is the game that'll start on true TV, Xavier, an 11 and a half point favorite over Kennesaw state over under 151. I love Kennesaw state here. I think they're being slept on and this is a very experienced team. I think they were, number one in the country in minutes continuity coming into the year. It's a veteran team that's been through the war with Abdur Rahim, who's doing one of the best turnaround jobs of any program in recent history. The team that won one game in his first year back in 2020, one game. And now they won the Atlantic Sun conference tournament and regular season. Atlantic Sun, by the way, has done very well in the NCAA tournament over the years. But this team can score, which you need to do against Xavier. And they have an excellent guard in Burden who needs to get into the paint, dribble penetration, which I think he can do against a Xavier perimeter defense that's a bit leaky. And, you know, no free mantle for Xavier, I think, lowers their offensive ceiling a bit, and he would have been a mismatch here. Kennesaw State will also mix up defenses very well, which I think is important for an opponent that you have more talent than, but you're not familiar with. Because Xavier won't be able to get into a rhythm. They can keep Xavier on their toes. Now, you don't want to press Xavier. Xavier, good ball handlers. They rate out well against the press. But they actually rate out poorly against zone this year. So you could see Kennesaw State up <clears throat> their zone percentage. Regardless, they'll press a little bit. Zone, man, intra-possession. Really well-coached team. Veteran team that can shoot. And I think that they're going to be able to initiate their offense here via dribble penetration, which you can get against Xavier. So I think Kennesaw State profiles is a very good underdog 
in the NCAA tournament. I think they're alive to potentially pull off a shocker if you want to get a little crazy in your bracket. And I'm I'm really excited about this Friday show in particular because I think that the 13, 14, and 15 seeds in particular have a lot more juice as far as potentially pulling off an outright upset than the ones that are playing on Thursday. So I think Kennesaw State is extremely live here. Matt, you endorse this pick, the Owls? Excuse yeah, 100%. Me. I picked my bracket, so uh, I'm putting my money where my bracket mouth is, I guess. But uh, here's the one concern, though. I'll be a little bit of a devil's advocate, so I don't want to have this entire slant toward Kennesaw. Average height, Ken Palm, Xavier, 26th in the country, Kennesaw, 334. Kennesaw's got kind of, you know, bigger guards for the A-Sun, but Xavier has deceptively really long guards with with Jones, uh, Hunter at the forward position, and then uh, Desmond Claude, the freshman. He's got a lot more run lately. It's actually been a big help to their defense. I'm still with you. I don't trust this defense. I've watched enough this year. It's where I think Kennesaw can have success if Xavier does, um, you know, if they just play straight up man. I think they can, you know, penetrate gaps and kick out and make shots. And if they're hot, I mean, this is going to be a close game the whole way through. Um, but, but I do think I worry that maybe you'll get five minutes into this, you're watching. It's like, man, Kennesaw just looks small. So that, that's a slight concern that I worry I overlooked. But everything else I think sets up really well. I'm biased. I watched the game against Indiana at Assembly Hall where it was tied, uh, I think, with 10 to play. The game ended up sort of ballooning at the end. And TJD did not play in that game. So obviously you have to put a little bit of an asterisk on that still. That game, and they played VCU to three points, um, you know, I think earlier in an MTE, they they can stand up to to the big boys to some degree. So I'm not worried about the step up in class. I do worry about just that size, though, uh, potentially being an issue for our Owls. But I think their shot making gives them a real chance here. Yeah, very athletic team, and there's a lot of talent. Veteran team. You mentioned like they yeah, they went to VCU, lost by three. I think Baldwin didn't play in that game. TJD didn't play in the Indiana game, but they, they you know they played Florida within ten at Florida when they had Castleton who went bananas. He had like thirty three points. But yeah, it's a team. Everyone on the floor besides Demon Robinson, who's the you know undersized five. He's six eight. They could shoot, and it's a team that yeah. shot thirty seven percent, which is the top thirty five rate in the country from three, which is what you're looking for from an underdog. They won't be afraid here. And I think they can take care of some of, they can take advantage of some of the issues that Xavier has on defense. So yeah, I really like the owls here. think this could be a potential thriller. Oh, and they're talking. They're discussing the podcast. Try to light the fire. Wow. And let's move on to the third game on Friday in the South region this game will be played in denver colorado 130 eastern on tnt between baylor and ucsb baylor 10 and a half point favorite over under 143 bj let's get you in here what do you see here i do like uh uc santa barbara in this matchup because of how bad baylor has been defending at the rim this season like they don't allow a ton of shots to the rim but when the teams do get there they're allowing 72.6% at the rim per hoop math. That's the highest percentage in the entire country. UC Santa Barbara is top 45 in terms of their shot frequency at the rims. So this is not a great matchup for them. UC Santa Barbara also gets the free throw line at a top 75 rate, uh, while Baylor tends to struggle in that category defensively. Now, the Baylor offense is, is really good. Like, they're second uh, in adjusted offensive efficiency per Ken Palm. But – you look at shot quality they're 268th in points per possession in the half court while santa barbara's 30th in the country and points per possession allowed in the half court 
Um, and if you look at Baylor's last two losses against Iowa State, it was kind of concerning their point distribution of how it went down. They had 18 points at the rim total and 19 points from the mid-range total between those two games. Basically, everything was just completely reliant on the three-point line. Now, UC Santa Barbara is a halfway decent three-point defense. Like, they're not, you know, this elite three-point defense that gives them a huge advantage here. But this is a very experienced team as well. Like, they are 23rd in the country in three-point rate allowed, 105th in three open three-point rate allowed. So, the halfway decent three-point defense. And the concern here, though, for UC Santa Barbara is that they haven't played a tough schedule. Like, they played a very, very easy non-conference schedule. The highest-ranked team on Ken Palm that they played this season was UC Irvine, who's 99th, and they split both of those the meetings with them in the middle of the season. Now, they do have a lot of talent and transfers from other bigger schools, like Pierre Luis is transferred in from Temple. Andre Kelly came over from Cal. Miles Norris came over from Oregon. They have been without Ajari Sani for a long time now. Uh, which has basically been their sixth man, their 343rd in, in bench minutes. So not a lot of depth to this team, but I like the amount of problems they can present Baylor, uh, especially at the rim. So I don't think they're actually going to pull off the upset here, but I think they will keep it close and eventually run out of gas at the end. So I do like them plus 10 and a half. Yeah, I played UCSB as well. I wouldn't be shocked if this is an upset. There's the teams that are like higher seeds that have red flags. Those are the teams that I'm looking to fade and maybe pick against him in my bracket and Baylor's defense is a red flag. They are outside the top 100 and adjusted defensive efficiency, especially you mentioned at the rim. They are, they rank per Haslametrics 359th in the country near proximity field goal percentage allowed versus the average opponent. Santa Barbara's offense is 31st in that statistic. They are a two point offense. They, they thrive in the mid range. They can get to the rim. You mentioned some of their other talented players. They have a, pro prospect and their point guard mm-hmm. yeah. AJ Mitchell who's the tough shot maker he's very polished player I think he's going to end up being a draft pick maybe next next draft he's great they run great offense under Pasternak the the concern is maybe Baylor goes you know because their defense has been questionable you know Scott Drew's been known to throw out a zone here they go zone against UCSP hasn't been great against the zone UCSP is not a heavy three-point shooting team but so that that could be problematic. I also worry about foul trouble. You mentioned the depth of trying to guard those Baylor guards who have pedigree and guards do play in March. So that is a bit of a concern. But UCSB veteran team, they got a point guard who is really good, high major talent, well coached, and they play slow. They're outside the top 300 and adjusted tempo. That's kind of what you're looking for. And they do run teams off the three-point line, so they, which is a good thing against Baylor. You don't want those Baylor guards to get hot. So I think there's enough juice in the Gauchos here to hang around, potentially pull off an upset. You want to play devil's advocate, or you would endorse here, Maddie? Uh, I think I endorse. However, a little concerned that maybe Baylor has just been kind of caught in the Big 12 grinder, and they're going to come out here. And yeah, I know UCSB is a good defensive team, but you know, playing UCSB after playing Texas and Iowa State and Kansas might feel like playing a JV team. Just don't let Baylor shoot threes, right? Like, I wouldn't back Baylor. When I'm laying points with a favorite, I don't like betting on a team that I need to hit shots to cover. I think that's kind of what Baylor – That that's where Baylor falls on the spectrum. You know, it's not a team that can punish and get easy ones at the rim. However, I do worry that maybe I've undersold Baylor because they've just sort of gotten to this mental rut, being stuck in the Big 12 – 
you know, grinder, pressure cooker, whatever. Now they get to play a UC San Bar. I mean, good team, right? But not Texas, not Iowa State. Maybe that talent kind of pops and explodes again, like the version we all thought we were going to see for most of the year, and they just never quite got there. Um, that's my concern if you're back in UCSB here. Yeah, that's certainly possible. But they played Iowa State and got blown out at home to close the regular season. And then lost the rematch, too. And then I know, lost the bad rematch luck. five yep, yep. days later to Iowa State. It was not some juggernaut. And they gave up 73 and 78 in those games. So yep. that was another red flag to me. Something just seems off. Now, they could put it together. as a team that won the national title uh, two years ago. And they have the pedigree coaching and guards, which plays in March. But something just seems a little off. I think US, UCSB can put up a fight here. All right, let's move to the fourth game of the day. And it is the start of the absolute bonanza in Albany. I thought we were having steamed clams. No, no, I said steamed hams. That's what I call hamburgers. It's a regional dialect. Uh, what region? Uh, upstate New York. Well, I'm from Utica, and I've never heard anyone use the phrase steamed hams. Oh, not in Utica. No, it's an Albany expression. I see. Albany just four amazing games, which we'll cover today. The first of which is between VCU and St. Mary's. 2 p.m. Eastern on TBS. Mary's sitting in a four-point favorite here over under 123. Fascinating, like, pace and just style clash between these two teams, also on opposite coasts of the country. It's worth noting St. Mary's going across the country. This will be 11 a.m. local tip for them uh, and their bodies and how will they handle that VCU pressure. Really fascinating X's and O's matchup. What do you see here, Maddie? The travel spot's huge. I'm, I was trying to find the weird, odd situations like that. This was the one that stuck out the most. Now, the NCAA has done better, I think, in recent years about not forcing teams that go cross-country to play on Thursday. So you at least get the Friday extra day off. Still, an early tip with the PST local clock going to the East Coast against this just dogged VCU defense does not give me the warm and fuzzies if you're looking to back St. Mary's. I love VCU here. Um, I think people have made too much over the fact that they've run through a watered down A-10 team um, in general. I think people are overplaying that narrative with the ACC as well. We talked about how the Pac-12 is so good in the tournament. Every year, the Pac-12 has been down, except for like two of the last decade. Look how they do in the tournament. I think it's more about the style you bring to the table. That was the narrative with the ACC last year that it was down, and then they all did well. And they were awesome. And Big Ten's always been good, but then what's the Big Ten do in the tournament, right? So there's maybe something to that zigging against the zag in the regular season versus postseason as you turn the page. I'm not buying into that. I'm just not like selling VCU because of that angle. It's more about the fact that I think this is a team of a bunch of adults, just gritty. Uh, I mean, St. Mary's is actual motto. I mean, Randy Bennett said so in the Almanac offseason. We are gritty, not pretty. But that's what VCU does better than any team in the country. Like under Mike Rhodes, they are the ugliest, most toughest, tenacious team there is. Ace Baldwin, the guys that they can put on Aiden Mahaney to bother him with some physicality, kind of rough him off his line a little bit. I think that's going to bother the St. Mary's offense, which we have seen go through long, long scoring droughts against, you know, what pedestrian WCC defenses what was that 10 minute drought they went through against LMU, the BYU comeback. I know they're up 25, so I don't want to you know hold that against them, but still they're not immune to scoring droughts. And VCU is a team that can extend those scoring droughts for longer periods of time and create more of them throughout the game. VCU's offense is not always pretty either, but they can manufacture points, a lot of balance guys and get you from different angles. I like the Rams here. Um, I hate fading St. Mary's. I wanted to back St. Mary's. I was like, this is a for sure surefire Sweet 16 team for me. But just a tough matchup here. I think VCU gets by them. 
Yeah, we saw St. Mary struggle with the press against Gonzaga and against BYU. I think a lot of their bigs aren't great. Like, you need help. Their guard, your guards need help when you're trying to break a press and traps. And on the other side, St. Mary's just funnels you into mid-range shots. They take away the three. They're great at the rim. Ace Baldwin can really get going and cooking for the mid-range. That's going to be a key. It's just, yeah, I, I think I trust Randy Bennett to prevail here. I think he's one of the best coaches in the country. But taking the points here, and a, and a game, by the way, with a total of 123. So points at a premium. So looking at the dog might not be a bad take. BJ, who you, who you have an advance in your bracket here between VCU and Mary's? I have St. Mary's advancing, but I think this game is honestly a fascinating live betting opportunity, especially with the pressure that VCU can give them. You know, you mentioned the games against Zaga and BYU. If you look at Synergy, you know, St. Mary's is good versus the press, especially in transition. But when you get into the half court, they're in the 30th percentile per synergy and points per possession. So if St. Mary's is coming out and they're just shot making is, is outrageous. Like it has been, you know, in certain games throughout this season, Matt brought up the, you know, the game against UC San Diego, which are against, excuse me, San Diego, that they went through a 10 minute scoring drought against one of the worst defenses in the entire country. That is a good opportunity to maybe get in live on VCU. So I'll probably be looking to play VCU live, especially when the pressure starts mounting uh, and if St. Mary's is making shots. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, what happens to St. Mary's if if they succumb to the pressure early and they suddenly have to play from behind and pick up the tempo. It's going to be, like you mentioned off the top, it's a fascinating tempo clash between these two teams. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I, I agree. VCU would be worth, because of their pressing style, they would be worth a live look. And St. Mary's goes through just like long scoring droughts. They seem to like get way ahead and then just try to run out the clock. Like that's, <laughs> that's that, like they, they were up 56 to 30 on BYU. And then that game got like within one possession late. You mentioned the San Diego game. They were up 58 to 35. They won by three. Uh, I mean, it's just a a constant theme with them. And VCU is going to keep coming at you with the pressure of the tournament. Once like a pressing team starts turning you over, then it just mounts. You see it all the time. So if VCU is down big. They're going to keep coming. And uh, yeah, I think that they might be worth a live look. He placed the bet. He felt good about it. All right, let's move on to the second game in the East region between Vermont and Marquette. This game will also be in Columbus, 245 Eastern on CBS. Marquette's 11-point favorite over under 144.5. I don't really like a lot of the big dogs on Thursday. I like a lot of the big dogs on Friday. I mentioned Kennesaw. I mentioned UCSB. And I think Vermont is very live, a dangerous, dangerous 15 seed because they well-coached, a lot of ball handles, which you need against Marquette, a lot of shooters, and they play slow. They're not going to turn it over. They're not going to beat themselves. Marquette also probably a three seed. If UConn can make it open three last week. So like they're on the, you know, the bot, the fringe of the two. It's not like the top two. And I think Vermont profile is more like a 14. Those are very dangerous 15 seed, but the way that they play, they're going to slow the game up, not beat themselves. Marquette's also a team of energy. Their Shaka smart is Mike Tomlin. Ra rah. His teams in the underdog role, they thrive. They come out and they just play with so much energy. And to wit, Chaka Smart, over the past 20 years, the second most profitable coach against the spread as an underdog. Only Tim Floyd, who was insane against the numbers of dog, was more profitable. But Chaka is a favorite. So he's 61% against the spread as a dog, which is ridiculous. 92 and 59 and 3 against the spread. As a favorite, 134, 156, 46.2%. As a double-digit favorite, 43, 63, and 2 40.6% out of about 800, 850 coaches in our Action Labs database, 
since 2005. He's the fourth least profitable as a double-digit favorite. A lot of parallels to Mike Tomlin and his team's success as a dog, bad as a big favorite. So maybe they don't have that same energy that they – I don't see NCAA tournament, but they just won't come out with that same intensity at first. I think eventually they'll turn it on. They're going to prevail here. I worry a bit about their pick-and-roll coverage against Tyler Kolick, but the biggest weakness of Vermont is their post-defense. Horrific post Marquette doesn't run any offense through the post. So, yeah, I think Vermont can hang here. They're making shots. They can put a scare into Marquette. I like the Cats here. If you want to get crazy, I think this is the 15 seed to pick. Maddie, are you agree or disagree? Yeah, partial agreement. I'll just ride the fence here. I The, the issue for me is Vermont's talent pool relative to the teams John Becker has had in the past. I think this is actually his least talented team he's had of, of the five tournament appearances. Um, he's three and two against the number in the tournament since I think 2007 and the only five times he's made it. It's a well-coached team. Um, no doubt about that. I, I just don't think there's a, there's no Anthony land walking through that door. There's not like a guy that can get you a bucket if your execution falls short. And I still think the preparation, even though it's a great coach with, um, and Becker, the preparation to Marquette's offense is such a tough nut to crack. Like Marquette was basically, you know, a, a rocket ship. The only time they leveled off in the season was when they kind of hit that late season mini swoon. Teams in the Big East saw them a second time. They kind of adjusted to what they do. And they're so unique on both ends with their bigs being inverted. Even for a good team like Vermont with the time to prepare, I think it takes them time to get used to that. And once you're down 10, 15 against Marquette, I, don't, I think it's lights out. So that's my concern. Um, but yeah, back in Vermont, the tournament under John Becker is never a bad investment. So some of the times where Marquette struggled though, like, like I said, was, you know, they just come out a little flat. Don't you, wouldn't you agree that they're energy based? Like you saw, and then once they yeah, get going, you have a rocket ship, but like, you know, they, they were trailing at the half against Georgetown. They almost lost to St. John's a couple of times. There's just some games where it's like, oh, they didn't really come out with their, but then they're an underdog and they come out right from the start and they're so intense. And that's when they're great which is why if they can get by like these games where they're supposed to win, they're going to be a really dangerous dark horse. But uh, I think it'll be an intriguing game. All right, there's a big talent and athletic mismatch here. So Vermont can't let this get away. Now, look, Marquette forces a ton of turnovers, pressure, shock is smart. Vermont does have a lot of ball handlers, and they do take care of the ball, which is which is really important. If you don't have that, they would have gotten run out of the gym, and I'm assuming they're going to try and slow this down. But like I said, the key is like the first 10 minutes of this game. You got to stay in it to have a shot. Um, All right, let's move on to our – the sixth game of the day will be Iowa State against whoever wins that pit Miss State mess. Um, Make sure you check out ActionNetwork.com and the Action Network app for a preview of whatever that matchup ends up being. Chalmers for the tie. Got it! Two seconds. Unbelievable. Let's move on to the – later in the afternoon, NC State Creighton. In the South region, this game will be played in Denver, 4 p.m. Eastern on TNT. Creighton, five-and-a-half-point favorite, over under 148-and-a-half. I think you guys disagree on this game. BJ, you like Creighton here? I do. Uh, I think there's a couple matchup problems they can present for NC State. Like, first off, Creighton is a very efficient offense, like their top 30 in just offensive efficiency. They're incredible at scoring in just about every type of offensive set, which makes them – a very, very dangerous team. And that's this type of tournament when you're facing so many different defenses, but they're also 93rd in press offense per synergy, which will come in handy against NC state. It likes to press a lot. And I mean, the Creighton offense 
you know, the Wolfpack are very average at defending the three-point line, 190th in catch and sh- defending catch-and-shoot three-pointers, 217th in defending off-dribble three-point shoot shots, and then 278th in open three-point allowed. That's not a good recipe when you're going against shooters like Shireman, Nembhard, and Trey Alexander. Then on the defensive side of the ball, Creighton's actually been really, really good this season. 15th in adjusted defensive efficiency. They're very good at protecting the rim. 12th in two-point field goal percentage allowed. 11th in points possession allowed at the rim. Per shot quality, NC State was dead last in the ACC in points for possession in the half court on offense in conference play, uh, which was the eighth most difficult conference in uh, the country this season, obviously the ACC being way down. And what you're going to get from NC State is a lot of mid-range jumpers and a lot of, of post upsets, which could be to their advantage because Creighton does struggle there defensively. But the Blue Jays are 13th in defensive rebounding percentage, almost never allow teams to get to the free throw line. Uh, and NC State uh, is 32nd highest frequency transition team in the country, while Creighton is top 20 in defending in transition. So I think this is a pretty good matchup here uh, for Creighton with the amount of shooters they have, how good they are defensively, an NC State team that – I really just don't trust their offense. So, uh, and also Creighton's ability to, to break the press, I think is going to be big in this one. So I do like the Blue Jays minus five and a half. And I, I parlayed them on the money line with uh, San Diego state here in the first round. Yeah. I mean, NC state press is about a third of the time one of the highest rates in the field. I think FDU is number one at 52%. That's their number one in the country, but Creighton 99 percentile press offense. You can't really press them. They have ball handlers. And yeah, I, I, fi- I find it hard to see NC State getting many stops here against Creighton. It's an NC State team that won zero games away from home, neutral or away against a tournament team. You know, you do have Turquavian Smith, who could go bananas. If he's hot, he's really hot. And you have DJ Burns, who on the low block could potentially bring give Kalkbrenner some issues. He actually is poor in post-up defense. So they're not going to be able to move him around but maybe Burns can have a big day inside and Smith goes bananas from the outside. Maddie, I think you like the dog here. Why the Wolfpack? Yeah, they've actually been okay in neutral sites this year. Right? They played Kansas competitively, um, beat Dayton by 12, beat Butler. Sorry, Butler is not a good team. Beat them by 15 though. Uh, and beat Vandy. I know Vandy was not the same team we saw down the stretch. They still beat them by four. So I'm not overly concerned by that. I'm more concerned about their travel situation going out West to altitude keats talked about that in his uh with with the media locals there on monday morning he was hoping they would fly out that night sunday night but i think they're still trying to get out there so i worry that could be a little bit of a travel disadvantage for the pack another point in the favor uh, for creighton but i'm just keying in on the shot making ability of joiner and smith being a great uh kryptonite for creighton's defense which is heavily reliant on drop with kalkbrenner um, I think you look at the Clemson matchup as the way to beat NC State, right? A team that just completely waxed them three times. They get into every gap and they kind of wall off those drives and they force, um, you know, they kind of disrupt the rhythm of those guards. I, that's not really what Creighton does. It's a little bit different of a scheme with Kalkbrenner's being kind of the anchor there. So I think that's a big concern if you're backing Creighton here. Um, but I think I, that travel thing I just brought up, though, I'm trying to track that closely uh, as it leads up to tip time maybe get some more information about that but um that, that is a kind of an ominous start to the fact for a team that has not won on the road now you have to go cross country and play at altitude not exactly a great um a great situation yeah i mean creighton does do a good job of taking away the three 10th i mean ninth in the country and three point temporary lap. but smith if he's hot he's hot i would prefer creighton here but i will say that this game does have a lot of variance which would work in the favor of an underdog in the tournament 
Creighton, because you have like Ken Smith get red hot, and then you have Cre- a Creighton team who shoots a lot of threes, and it seems like they're either really hot or they're not, and they're off, right? So like, are the threes falling for Creighton, and w- w- is Smith hot? Those factors kind of increase the variance in this game, and for that reason, I like. Um, I didn't pick NC State against the spread. I did take the money line small, and I took them in my bracket. Right, you're right. The variance I think plays well if you're looking for a money line angle. Um, but I don't think a spread bet is as wise. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. One of the all-time shockers, Lehigh defeats Duke in the NCAA basketball tournament. All right, let's move on to our. Eighth game of the day between Iona and UConn. This is part of the Albany Bonanza in the West. It's the West region, right? Yeah, the West, I don't, all these teams in the West region are playing in Albany. I mean, it makes no sense to me. No, it's an Albany expression. I see. Uh, UConn's a nine-point favorite here, over under 143 and a half. It's 4.30 p.m. Eastern on TBS. Fascinating matchup here. Iona has a puncher's chance just because they have good guards and they have a really good coach. Iona, just like every Patino team, is known for pressing and trapping. They're going to pressure you. UConn has had turnover issues this year, and they grade out just right around average uh, against the press this year, but they're 234th in the country in turnover percentage. So can Iona force them into turnovers and then get easy buckets? And that's really how an underdog can get the juice, so to speak. Now, Iona does have capable three-point shooters, but UConn is an elite three-point defense. And you could say, in a way, Iona got screwed here. UConn, this is the region yeah. of death in the in the West. UConn is arguably a top-10 team, and they're a four-seed in a region that has five top-10 teams, five top-11 teams in Kempom all in it. Then TCU is arguably a top-15 team when healthy. Arkansas arguably a top 25 team health lot. Like this region is just talent wise for Arkansas, Illinois also is like this region is ridiculous. Uh, so can Iona, can their guards, Patino, the pressure cause enough issues for UConn or does UConn's size, which is going to be a problem here. Um, tr- is that the Trump card and do they eventually pull away here? What do you see here? Pretty fascinating matchup. Yeah, I I kind of I made the uh, I made the swingers John Favreau, uh, Mikey comparison. UConn feels like like Mikey and 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 swinger like just so often they they have the weapons they just don't really like unleash them. It's just very frustrating. Now the last few weeks of the year we've seen them kind of flip that switch back right after that midseason swoon. It's been a tale of three chapters um, for the Huskies. Do I have concerns about the Hurley versus Patino angle? Yeah, I do. Um, you look at the data though. I mean, Patino's 18 and 15 against the spread in the tournament lifetime. Like it's not like he's, you know, 25 and five. It's not like an auto bet. I, I do think he has a coaching advantage. I think he can make UConn play in the half court and turn this into kind of an uglier slog. Um, you know, just to lower possessions, give him a puncher's chance to win. But even with the potential coaching mismatch, I just think there's so much firepower, size, speed, athleticism, talent on UConn that Hurley can't mess this up. And not even Patino can counter it. Um, I, I think both teams kind of got screwed. I mean, look at how well Iona's been playing down the stretch. I mean, their Bart Torvik splits since February 1st, you know, pegged them as like a top 30 team, but they're beating MAAC teams by margin, right? I mean, UConn was beating Big East teams 
by margin. If they make a shot against Marquette, I think we're talking about a team that's like a 3-2 seed. They march on, and the entire narrative around this team is different. So I think it's actually a blessing in disguise for UConn to kind of have that reset, you know, maybe, you know, light a fire under them. You get a whole week off to rest and prepare for Iona. Yeah, it, it feels foolish to go against Patino in this coaching this match, but I am going to lay it with UConn. Good stuff there. By the way, the ninth game of the day, we don't know the matchup. It's the 16 seed winner between FDU and Texas Southern. Texas Southern, by the way, they were, I think they only finished like 12 and 22, but this is a team that won it, won their conference tournament last year, made the made the tournament, and they were dealing with injuries throughout the year. So they're better than their record indicates. But if FDU gets by Texas Southern, FDU, I, I mentioned presses at the highest rate in the country. So maybe that works in Purdue's favor. You get like a uh, a practice against the press after you, you know, before the pressure that FAU and especially Memphis is going to put on you. So that's something to keep an eye on that if Purdue gets FDU, FDU's their only shot. They're going to press the whole game. They can't get into a half court and have Edie dunk on them every possession. So we'll see if that helps Purdue in a way is getting to see a press and practicing against it, against a team that presses more than any team in the country. Okay, before we go any further, as a reminder, Big Bets on Campus is presented by BetMGM. So get in on the action with the king of sports books. Sign up with BetMGM using bonus code ACTION and get up to $1,000 paid back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. That is the bonus code ACTION. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Puerto Rico, Tennessee, Virginia, Washington, D.C., West Virginia, Wyoming, or Ontario only. Must be 21 or older to wager. 19 or older in Ontario. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, D.C., Kansas, Louisiana, Nevada, Wyoming, or Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in Indiana, Maryland, New Jersey, or West Virginia. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Call or text the Tennessee Red Line at 1-800-889-9789 or call 1-888-777-9696 in Mississippi. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, and Utah and other states where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. Let's move on to the 10th game of the day between Providence and my Kentucky Wildcats. I'll be at the bar down here and let's see there are two keys are staggering. If you're in town, message me on Twitter. I'll buy drinks all night. Games at 7 p.m. Eastern on CBS. Kentucky's a four-point favorite over under 145. This game is in Greensboro, the East region. I have no idea what to expect from Kentucky. They're way too inconsistent. Wouldn't surprise me to see them make a run to the Final Four. Wouldn't surprise me to see them lose this game by 30. I really have no idea. Ed Cooley's been great as a dog. Bryce Hopkins revenge game. Who knows? I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm not betting it. BJ, you have a take. Who do you like? Yeah, I think this potentially sets up for kind of a rock fight between these two teams. You know, obviously everything's going to be made out with the Bryce Hopkins revenge game, but 
First off, I mean, both these defenses have not been good this season. Overall, they're both outside the top 70 in adjusted defensive efficiency. And both offenses are inside the top 20 in adjusted offensive efficiency. But let's first start with Kentucky. I mean, how do you stop Kentucky? You got to stop Sheboy down low and you got to be able to defend mid-range jumpers because Kentucky doesn't really take any three-pointers. Providence is 64th in the country in points for possession allowed at the rim. They were third in the Big East in defending mid-range jumpers only around 36% in conference play. Kentucky has 29% of their shots coming from mid-range and 40% coming at the rim. Kentucky has also the second highest offensive rebounding percentage in the country. Providence is 96th overall uh, in, in defensive rebounding percentage, despite being 277th in average height, so that could be a hindrance to them. But Providence, much like Kentucky, needs to get to the rim to be successful. They were the 74th highest frequency in shot attempts at the rim. They're a top 20 offensive rebounding team, but Kentucky only allowing 56% on shots at the rim this season. Obviously, Sheboy is very, very good at defending around there. And they also, Kentucky defended in the half court very, very well, which I'm guessing this game is going to be played mostly in. 22nd in points of possession allowed in the country. And Providence, listen, I mean, yes, this game is going to be played in the half court. Both teams do like to get out and run a little bit. But the tempo clash, I mean, Providence was 195th in adjusted tempo, and Kentucky is outside the top 250. So for the tempo not really being this fast transition-type pace game for two teams that can defend at the rim, I think it sends up for a little bit more of a slog, a little bit more of a rock fight, despite these two defenses not being grading out that well over the season. So I like under 145 and a half points. I think it ends up being a little more low scoring game than expected. I like that. Yeah. On the surface, I'm like, well, both these defenses have struggled, but yeah, that's rock solid analysis there. Matt, what are you seeing here between Providence and Kentucky? Help guide me because I have no idea. Yeah, I'm kind of searching on this one as well. I, the one angle I did read about, it's not just the Bryce Hopkins revenge angle. It's kind of like an SEC revenge against Kentucky angle. You have Devin Carter and Noah Locke, two former SEC dudes, uh, Carter at uh, South Carolina, Locke at Florida. They've all played Kentucky. They've all had Kentucky on their you know bulletin board with the cro- in their crosshairs. I think kind of a team that can galvanize around that, like around these narratives, which what better team slash program slash coach does that better than Cooley, right? Look how they did that last year with the province is the luckiest team always has the horseshoe up the, you know, where you're, where the sun don't shine. I think the Hopkins thing is actually exactly the fuel this team needs. I don't like buying into those narratives usually, but this is certainly one where I'll make an exception. Uh, Ed Cooley has a dog. The stats are, um, you know, off the charts good. And I don't know. I just think this Kentucky thing had some signs of resurging, but it wasn't enough to convince me that they have this deep run in them. Um, Unlike Duke, where I'm buying into the blue blood with the deep run potential, Kentucky, I just don't see. And I'm not even a big Providence fan, to be honest, but I do think this is a tough matchup. And I do like the, uh, just the talent boon they have this season relative to last year with Hopkins at the forefront. Please, Kentucky, just win this game so i can have the sunday fun <laughs> i'll say i'll say this doug about kentucky i think if they win this game like they could go all the way to the elite eight uh or they could lose this game by 20 Dude, kentucky elite eight baby i'm rooting for you stuck i mean you could deserve it after last at year. least at least one weekend night and sunday <laughs> would be um, a zoo and yeah if they get to the next weekend that'll be awesome but yeah kentucky's definitely dangerous but they could nothing every time they show signs of life then it's like all right they could lose easily to vandy it's lose to south carolina at home like there's some troubling results for this team. Alright, let's move on to the second game of the night slate between Drake and Miami. Miami, as of right now, is a two-point favorite over under 146.5. It's the Midwest region in the Albany Bonanza. 7.25 p.m. Eastern, TBS. 
I, I love Drake. Played them as a dog. I would and look, there's they're there if you look since February first, kind of tweak their offense, they're a top twenty-five team in overall adjusted efficiency, veteran team. They don't really have any weaknesses. Like if you look at their half court offense per synergy, it's like 90th percentile against man, 90th percentile against zone, 90th percentile against press, 90th percentile. Like everything they do is just rock solid. The one weakness they have is like Brody's like a, he's their big man. Brody's like 285. He's like big, big man. So like you can, if you can move him around, right. Um, Like, they grade out really poorly against the roll man and pick and roll. And if you could move him around, you have a big who can shoot. So theoretically, North Chad O'Meara could give him some issues, but he's not fully healthy. I don't think he's going to play, but I have no idea. But he's not, he was like, he had to get carried off the court this past weekend. If he tries to play, he's not going to be at hundred percent. He is so important to everything Miami does. He's really like their only real rebounder, I should say. And he's their only big, who has any juice like they have you're you're down to anthony walker or aj casey they stink and that's who like the replacement level drop off is huge it's like three to four points i make drake three and a half point favorites here if omir doesn't play and i think it's close to a coin flip if he does maybe drake a small favorite if he's hobbled and miami look they're well coached they have the guards but which does play in March. We saw that last year, but their defense is bad. Omir is banged up. Miami does thrive in transition with those guards. Well, Drake doesn't let you get in transition. They don't go after any offensive rebounds. They get back. When they do defend in transition, again, first energy, they're elite, but they're, I think, the 10th percentile in allowing transition opportunities because if you look at Drake, they are 310th in the country in offensive rebound rate. That's by design. And they don't let you get out in transition. So, I really like Drake here, an experienced veteran team peaking at the right time against Miami team that has a red flag on defense, a major injury question for a team that only goes six deep to begin with. I think Drake, this is vi- this is vibes of, I think it'll be a close game. This gives me uh, similar vibes to Miami against um, – Loyola Chicago, another Valley team back in God, how long ago was that? 2018. When Loyola Chicago won on a buzzer beater and then made that giant run. I wouldn't be shocked if Drake made a big run for what it's worth. Valley teams have been amazing against the spread in the tournament. They are the second most profitable team of the past 10 years behind the Pac-12. They're 20, 12, and 1 against the spread over the past 10 years. Love me some Drake here. Matty, agree? Hard agree. The uh, You bring up the Darnell Brody conundrum. I was thinking about this quite a bit. I Part of me is like, okay, if Omir's banged up or not playing, you know, that's where they can really punish Miami inside. But you also, I think, bring up the better point, which is they can be exposed defensively with Brody as kind of a lumbering, paint-plotting type of big you bring up that Loyola example, I think they should replicate that blueprint, right? You play Tucker DeVries at the five or Sadar, or Sadar Calhoun at the five. Miami's not going to score inside again. Yeah, that looks really small, but I mean, they're five best players. You could argue are DeVries, Penn, Calhoun, Sturts, and Wilkins, which is a small ball type lineup. Kind of replicate that interchangeability that Loyola did to Miami back then. And Drake's done that a little bit this season. Um, so yeah, that, it's 
fascinating to see how DeVries manages the Brody angle, especially given the brittle front line that Miami will be dealing with. I worry he's going to be too obsessed with pounding him inside. Sometimes Brody's not exactly a great finisher. He can be kind of frustrating. He's not a good free throw shooter either. Um, so I want to see them use the collection of wing and guard assets and not force feed Brody. That's my one. If, uh, if DeVries calls me up, which I'm sure he won't, but if he does, I'll answer and I'll tell him, Hey, you know, put Brody on the back burner, go small, let your guards and wings do their thing. I think you guys advance. Yeah. I mean, Omir, by the way, it's like, he's top 35 in the country, but offensive and defensive rebounding rates his First replacement is Anthony Walker, who's six nine, like a wing, junior. more of a wing almost. Yeah, yeah, he's two of twenty from three on the year. So, like, are you really afraid of him? But um, and then you have AJ Casey, who's a six nine raw freshman. I barely played. He's one of ten from three. It's like, can they really hurt Brody? But I agree. To go in small sometimes won't necessarily hurt. But uh, I'm all about the Bulldogs here. I think they're peaking at the right time. BJ consensus here. Yeah, Des Moines can be hopping if the, they make that same run that Loyola did. Agree with everything you guys are saying. A couple of points I'll add on to it is, you know, Drake is the 18th highest frequency team in the country in mid-range jumpers, which is something Miami has really, really struggled defending this season. And, I mean, you mentioned with Omir, I mean, top 35 in both offensive and defensive rebound percentage. That leaves Miami being a complete liability on the boards. And not only that, just his sheer size. I mean, sit, sitting at about 250 pounds. I mean, Brody – but they decided to play him on the court or not. I mean, he's, he's 6'11", 275. They have nobody. Yeah, he's huge. Close, yeah, they have nobody even close to that amount of size to guard him down low. So that's a big problem. And you, like, even if he does play, he's going to be at least somewhat hampered. So that gives Drake, gives Drake a big time advantage. And Drake is also a top 100 frequency team in ball screens. And that's something Miami has also really, really struggled defending this season. So this is a, a slam dunk Drake spot. Uh, absolutely love my hometown Drake Bulldogs to get through here against Miami. And a steal! Fireball! Inside! The freshman up! Oh, and they go in front! Romeo! Last chance to dance! Unbelievable! Oh, what a game! Unbelievable! What a game! Unbelievable! Let's move on to the final game of the early night slate between Grand Canyon and Gonzaga. Gonzaga is a 15 and a half point favorite over under 156. It's the West region in Denver, 735 Eastern on True TV. Look, Grand Canyon, I think they were the most profitable over team in the country this year. They can score. They have a electric guard in Ray Harrison who transferred from Presbyterian. They're coming off a weekend where they could not miss from three. <clears throat> However, Gonzaga's biggest weakness is on defense are in transition and at the rim. That's and they've been pretty good defending pick and roll. They've been pretty good on the perimeter, which is where Grand Canyon wants to make its hay. So, but can Grand Canyon take advantage of a Gonzaga defense that has holes? Because in the other end, it's hard to imagine Grand Canyon getting many stops against the number one offense in terms of adjusted efficiency in all of college basketball. Gonzaga should also eat on the offensive glass. So it's just a matter of. You know, Greg Cannon, if they're making threes, which is what can, you know, it's the great equalizer. If they're just red hot and Harrison goes for 40, they, they they potentially could win this game, but they need to win it like 96 to 95. Like that's their only <laughs> path to winning this game um, is that you just can't, you can't miss. And they did that in some games, like that championship game in the WAC five, they didn't miss from three. That's what they're going to need to do again. You can't, it's hard to envision many stops. Maddie, what do you see here? 
Yeah, I took Grand Canyon, and it's simply a bet on the coach. Uh, what Bryce Drew has done this year has been nothing short of spectacular. They you know, lost his best player early. Best player, preseason player of the year, big or um, whack player of the year, Javon Blackshear. And they just basically, okay, we're going to have Ray Harrison, a former Presbyterian transfer of all places. You're going to come in and be our focal point. Um, are they shooting above their heads right now? You could argue they are. I kind of feel like when you're hot, you're hot, and this momentum of, of hot shooting can really carry forth. What I love, though, about that run in the WAC tournament, which is insane, right? They won four or yeah, four and back-to-back-to-back-to-back. To back to back to back. He used like five different types of defense. I saw him use the uh, triangle and two, uh, box and one. I know that he will have something unique up his sleeve and a bag of tricks in his back pocket if he needs to use it to kind of take Gonzaga out of their comfort zone, right? They're going to – yeah, they've been an over team lately. I would be shocked if Drew – continues to be so free-flowing with how fast they play just at the expense of their transition D. Um, it's tough to see how this game really plays out, but I think Drew has something cooked up in the chamber where it's going to be good enough to stay inside the number. So I took the Lopes, um, but full disclosure, I have Gonzaga going all the way to the Final Four here. So I'm certainly not selling Gonzaga. I think they're very legit, but uh, but Bryce Drew is bad on it this one. Love it. Uh, and for what it's worth, if it gets you know something that could keep – potentially keep them in the number either late or just throughout is, you know, you have Anton Watson is 57%. Timmy's like 63% from the line. So, you know, there could be some missed free throws from Gonzaga that just make all the difference in the world between like something that ends up being, you know, a 13, 14 point game instead of a 17, 18 point game. My calculations are correct. You're going to see some serious Let's move on to the late night slate. Florida Atlantic Memphis. Talk about a game that's going to be exciting to watch. This is one of the games I'm looking forward to the most. And I wish I could have a really strong conviction on who would win. So then for my bracket, so that I could have them upsetting Purdue. So I think Purdue and Kansas are very, very vulnerable one seeds for who they have in the second round. The problem is, I is Arkansas Illinois going to win? Or is it Florida Atlantic or Memphis going to win? And that's the conundrum of a bracket. Uh, this game, Memphis two-point favorite over under 153. Games in Columbus in the East region, 920 Eastern on TNT. Memphis peaking at the right time, as well as Florida Atlantic. Both deep teams, super athletic. How do you make sense of this game, PJ? Yeah, I like a, uh, I mean, this is like a hold your nose, like sicko type under, under 153 points. Like this is obviously going to be a very up and down type of game, but I think both these defenses potentially pose some problems for the opposing offenses. Like if you look at Florida Atlantic, they're obviously an elite offense. They have four three-point shooters, but Memphis has done a tremendous job defending the three-point line. They're 28th in the country in three-point percentage allowed. They're 15th in defending catch and shoot three-point jumpers, 66th and off the dribble three-point jumpers. So they do have the size and ability to defend Florida Atlantic. And then the flip side, Florida Atlantic is a very, very good press offense. They don't turn the ball over quite a lot. So I think you're seeing, you'll see a good opportunity for them uh, to potentially get into the half court. And I mean, listen, both these teams are also very, very good at defending in the half court. So I don't see a scenario where like, it's very weird. I think Penny Hardaway is a very smart coach, but like, I don't just see him just like all out pressing against a really, really good press offense. I think he'll probably hang back, probably maybe try to press them in the half court rather than trying to just go right at them and turn this into an up and down type game. Both these teams are very, very good at defending at the rim as well. So I think it sets up kind of a little more difficult for these two offenses to score with these two, you know, both offense and defenses 
being pretty wood. So I, I like under 153 points. Uh, like this could go to 170, 175. And it's like, okay, yeah, I, I, look, I look like an idiot. But I do think these two defenses potentially uh, pose some problems for the opposing offenses. Yeah, tons of athleticism that can match up with each other across the board. You know, I was getting in my bracket, which I don't have my official bracket. I was like thinking, contemplating Memphis to the final four. And then I'm like, well, they're a two point favorite in the first round. But I think that they could give Purdue a ton of problems. Both teams could give Purdue a ton of problems. They're both in 91st and 93rd percentile in post defense. They also can pressure the Purdue guards with their physicality. It sucks that these two teams got matched up against each other. Uh, Matt, were you doing anything with this game? Yeah, I'm going to take FAU. More of a heart bet, I'll be honest. I got FAU in the Elite Eight. I saw them play live twice this year. They're just such a blast. The the one weakness with them, uh, I watched La Tech exploit this with uh, Isaiah Crawford. If you have like a big power wing and just you post up that fourth guard, because you're right, as BJ mentioned, they have four guards and they have Golden up front and they'll uh, swap in Rosado, who's like they're kind of their backup big, but it's four guards and one big. So if you have like kind of that hybrid piece that can bully the, uh, the quasi fourth guard, that's where you can exploit. Um, but that's really not what Memphis does. Like, I think that's, the, they run more conventional stuff with, with Kendrick and, and, um, you know, and Williams will be able to body golden if that's the matchup they get there. So I'm going to take FAU, but nothing strong because as you mentioned, I mean, Memphis just is a different team right now and it's a well-coached team and it's a team led by a guy in Kendrick Davis. Who's probably, you know, I don't know who I trust more in the final three minutes to like, get me a good shot, uh, make the right play, make free throws, um, just to, you know, an adult in the room at the head of the snake there. Yeah. Well, you have FAU going to the Elite Eight. I might have Memphis going to the Final Four of one of us. Yeah, sorry, Purdue. Um, Friday night is uh, one of us is going to be upset with our brackets. Let the games begin. Let's move on to the second late night game between Montana State and Kansas State. Kansas State's eight and a half point favorite over under 139, 940 Eastern on CBS in Greensboro in the East Regional. I think Kansas State, you want to look for potential underdog just from a seeding perspective that could win outright. When we had an event, I think it was in Vegas a few years ago, someone I made a bet on stage. We had an event uh, on stage that Kansas State was going to lose uh, to UC Irvine, and UC Irvine ended up winning. And I just thought it was a really good matchup schematically for UC Irvine in that game. They ended up winning. I think the same thing is true here for Montana State on both ends of the floor. It's a really good Matchup for Montana State, who veteran team, very well coached, very athletic. It's not your typical big sky team. And one of their best players, Bello, dealt with an injury for about a month. I think that hurt some of their analytic ratings, but he's healthy now. When you look at this Kansas State team, like you look and you say, okay, they're a three seed. Well, I have them 27th best team in the country in my power ratings. Kempom, they're 24th. That's that's a six seven seed. Yep. So you're you're not getting a true three seed here if you're Montana State. Two coaches I highly respect. Kansas State obviously an electric backcourt, but I think Montana State matches up well here. I'll get into some of the angles. BJ, what do you think? This is one of my favorite bets of the entire uh, first round of the tournaments. I mean, Montana State is an absolutely dangerous matchup for Kansas State. So, I mean, Kansas State largely benefited from being really good in Manhattan this season. They were sixteen and one at home seven and nine in neutral or games away from home, seventh worst 
uh, away from home metric per Haslam metrics in college basketball. And they're kind of a, like a one trick type pony offensively. They're the third highest frequency team uh, in terms of their shot attempts at the rim. They are the highest frequency back cutting team in the country. Montana state is sixth in the country at defending the rim and 19th at defending backups. So they'll be able to take away two of the big advantages there. And then Kansas state, they're only shooting 34% from beyond the arc and they're 297th in open three point rate. So a lot of their three point jumpers are contested and not to mention, I mean, Kansas state has had turnover issues all season long. They have a 20% turnover rate, which is 300th in the country. Montana state can turn you over at a set top 75 rate and Montana state. They're peaking at the right time. They won 14 of their last 15 games in the big sky, incredibly well experienced team four upperclassmen and upperclassmen in their starting five. Raekwon battle is a really dynamic scorer. Came over from Washington, the transfer portal. The biggest thing though, with Montana is they need to get the ball inside. They need to get the ball inside. And Montana need- state. Don't, don't make the, the fans in uh, Bozeman upset. Montana State, not Montana. Excuse me, Montana State. They need to get the ball inside, and they need to get to the free throw line, which they do do at a top ten rate. I mean, Kansas State, they're two hundred ninety eighth in free throw rate allowed, and the biggest advantage that Kansas State has had over a lot of teams, especially in the Big Twelve, is they're an elite three point defense. Well, that doesn't really hurt Montana State because they don't take a lot of three pointers to begin with. So I think this is a slam dunk uh spot for the bobcats here so i love montana state at plus eight and a half yeah i agree last year one of my favorite bets was texas tech in the first round against montana state montana state lost by 35 that was the worst possible matchup for montana state because you mentioned it they're the second heaviest uh, post office in the country behind purdue and they run a lot of stuff through bellow in the man in the goggles um in in the interior and then they need dribble penetration this is not a three-point shooting team so you're going up against a no middle that no middle texas tech defense you got to shoot threes well montana state just it what we all expected to happen happened they lost 97 to 62 so but now this team again they don't shoot threes they're not a great three-point shooting team they want to run everything through bella and they need triple penetration that you can do that against Kansas State. You can get to the rim and you can, they need to get to the line. I think Kansas State's 300th in free throw attempt rate allowed on defense. Montana State's fifth in the country at getting to the line. They can get to the rim here. They can get into the paint. And then on the other side of the ball, it's a team that has great individual defenders that can match up with this Kansas State backcourt. Darius Brown, who was on some horrid. Northridge defenses, by the way, I, I know it makes no sense. Those, like, <laughs> yeah. His Northridge defense under Gottlieb were they just never play defense, but he's he was big Scott defensive player of the year. They have you know Fuller and Battle who have like size who can match up against the you know, I guess you put you put Battle on Sills, Brown on Johnson, Fuller on Noel, I guess. Um, but yeah, you mentioned the turnover issues. Montana State can thrive there. I just think it's a really good matchup on both ends for a way overseeded Kansas State team that just isn't the same team away from home. You know, maybe Noel hits seven of those threes from the from half court that he pulls up and makes way more than I ever think he's going to. But I think Montana State's live here. It's sad that the market's so efficient these days because the line is sitting at eight and a half. And I think 10 to 12 years ago it would have been probably at 11. But I still I think Montana State can put a scare into Kansas State. Matt, do you agree here? Yeah, Marquis Noel, I'm with you, Stuck. I never really bought into him as like an elite lead guard in the Big 12. He shut me up pretty 
uh, with a lot of conviction early on, but look at his last four games. I think that 18 turnovers last four games uh, was ice cold last time. out. like, that's a Noel. I remember watching at little rock, right? Obviously mm-hmm. different player now, but he's not infallible. I'll say that. Uh, and I just for to put a hand up here. I had Montana state last year. I felt like a fool. I just was so, uh, you know, for queen and country team, that's got four, I think guys from England, two from, uh, London. I'm sorry, by the way, I was like, well, everything we expected to have happen. In- yeah. I was a fool. I thought their physicality would, would maybe just be a good, you know, they could, they wouldn't be punked by Texas tech, but they were absolutely punked by Texas tech. Uh, Texas tech last year is not this year's Kansas state. Like com- I think two different class of teams, to be honest. And so, it's a completely different scheme, like schematic different style just, too. You're right. Yeah. They're on the Baylor back cutting stuff that BJ talked about. So Danny Sprinkle, good coach. If he can figure out the back cutting stuff that thwarted so many big 12 defenses to start, I think they'll be fine. They should be competitive. Darius Brown was big sky defensive player of the year. He wasn't on that team last year, right? You're adding a key defensive piece via the transfer portal. There's a lot of live dogs of, of like the 13, 14, 15 on Friday, which means they'll miss all of their threes and all lose by 30, <laughs> but we'll have hope going into the day. You will always be held to a different, higher standard. And it's fucked up, but that is the way it is. Let's get to our last game of the day because it's TBD versus TCU, which will be the final game of the night. So let's close things out with the Albany Bonanza. Feels right. Kent State. Against Indiana, Indiana four-point favorite over under 140 and a half. It's the Midwest region, 955 Eastern on TBS. Maddie, you like the golden flashes here? Yeah, I do. Uh, I actually picked Indiana in my bracket, and I took Kent State pretty big on the spread. So I'm really trying to, to thread the needle with this one. I think TJD goes for 35. I don't think Kent State has like a – dominant front guy front line guy to match up with him and the way they're constructed that's not really what they have but they let timmy true timmy go for what 32 in the match against gonzaga in the season um and we're right in that game i just like how sender off schemes it's sort of what we've seen teams do with um against tjd and other matchups in the big 10 like all right let him get his we'll take away shooters um and we'll make you like we'll beat you threes versus twos right or we'll just kind of go two two versus your twos and kind of chip away and keep it close. That's how they stay close with Houston. It's just a really tough, physical, older team, multiple guys to throw on Jalen hood, Shafino with Malik Jacobs, who's a little bigger. And then sincere Carey, who was kind of their defensive stopper last year, but I like that center off kind of lets him run more of the offense takes the burden defensively uh, off his plate this year with, uh, with Jacobs emerging. Keep an eye on Chris Payton, though. Chris Payton's been an absolute freak lately for Kent State. He's a Pittsburgh transfer who Senderoff said was like the most athletic guy in the conference preseason. I think he was injured or something to start, or the light bulb just flicked on, but he's been an absolute menace on the glass. He's not going to stop TJD, but I think he's a guy that will be a – who is that guy uh, for Indiana fans watching? Um, keep an eye on him. He's a guy you got you to account for on this guy report. Yeah, Kent State, super experienced, very physical, elite defense – they got up some elite defensive pieces. You know, it's not a great shooting team from the outside, but their defense is going to keep them in this game alone. You just the only thing that could really get them out of this game is like sincere carry just having a an off night, right? Sometimes he just is on. He some, when he's on one, he's on one. Sometimes I remember that game in the MAC tournament against Akron when he was like just kept missing and missing and missing and shooting. That yeah, he had be, nine, nine turnovers and. Uh, what was he? Two of eleven from the floor. I mean, that was just disastrous. Yeah, he needs to put that beyond his psyche. That's uh, that was yeah. horrible. But he his quickness could give the Indiana perimeter some issues. Um, but yeah, this is a Kent State team is battle tested. They're like tough. They have like 
I know this is kind of narrative or like, but I did they have swagger, right? Which is important when you're playing uh, against a power conference team. And they showed that they went to Charleston, lost by two at a shot to win it. They went to Houston, lost by five. They went to Gonzaga, lost by seven. Like those are three tournament teams all on the road. And they were right in those games. And they're why? Because their, their defense travels, which is important in the tournament. Malik Jacobs on Hood Shafino, can he shut him down? Maddie? Uh Shut down. I think he can bother for sure. I like that they have two options, right? It doesn't have to be one guy for a full 40 minutes. You can put multiple guys alternate between Kerry and Jacobs. Um, but I think it's more about the scheme, right? You kind of have to, I mean, Huchapino is a mid-range killer, so you have to kind of take him off of that. You have to kind of throw different looks at him. I think Sandrop will have something dialed up that'll be effective there. That's my concern from a IU fan perspective. Yeah. I do think Kent State could make, would be like a, they still could make a run. They could beat Indiana. They could beat Drake or Miami. I think if they had like just Giovanni Santiago for like 12 minutes, like to come in and make a yeah, guy can make some shots. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Would I think raise their ceiling a bit. BJ, you agree on Kent or are you riding with the who, who Hoosiers? Yeah. I mean, I've been going back and forth with this. Like when the bracket came out, I was like, yes, I love Kent state. It's a great match, but the market has become so efficient now where it's just like four, like that's such a, yeah, no. <laughs> Indiana. like that's where I'm looking at this. And I'm like, do I potentially maybe want to play Indiana at this short number? Because like, I get it. Like defensively Kent state matches up against them very well. The only thing gives me a little pause. Is they're 340th in average height. So like, that's kind of troublesome, but you look at, they're very, very efficient in defending in the post. They're very efficient in defending at the rim. But if you look at the teams that Indiana has lost to recently, you know, Penn State obviously shot the lights out. Iowa, you know, went made 12 three-pointers against them. Michigan State made 10 three-pointers against them. Like, is Kent, is Kent State this type of offense that can get, like, nuclear hot and just shoot Indiana out of this type of game? I don't know if they are. Like, if you look at other shot quality metrics, they're not. They don't grade out that well, even though they are a mid-major team. So, definitely, a, like, I just keep going back and forth. Like, yes, I do love Kent State, but this number is so short that it's almost – causing me to play Indiana. But then again, like Kent State's good defending at the Ram, like the games against Gonzaga and Houston, they defended it. If you go look at the uh, the box course in there, they defended really good at the Ram against those two teams. So they can definitely match up well down low, but this number is so, so short. It's like if this gets to three and a half, I might have to just end up playing Indiana. I actually could see the, Matt, your ideal scenario playing out where Indiana wins by one to three and we've seen Indiana what they've won you know, they beat Michigan by two Illinois by three Michigan by one Purdue by four. they've won some close games and a lot of that Kent State's a regressive defense they fell a lot like Indiana's going to get to the line they're not a good free throw shooting team and Kent State if they're down they're going to keep coming at them but you you've seen Indiana miss free throws late and they could miss some free throws here, which lets Ken hang around. They could miss some free throws late. You get a back door too. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if Indiana wins this game by one to three. I'm rooting for you, Maddie. All right, good stuff. That is every known matchup on Friday's slate. I think, you know, it never plays out this way, but I think Friday's gonna be the, the most exciting day of the tournament. The yeah. Entire tournament. Yep. So we'll see. That means there'll be all blowouts, but uh at least one can hope. Before we get out of here, though, we have one final order of business. Our Best bet of the day. BJ, I'll start with you. Drake, plus two against Miami. I think the matchup is really, really good for them with the unknown status of Norchad Amir. Even if he does play, he's going to be hampered. Miami has no size down low. They're a complete liability on the boards against Darnell Brody. 
really, really experienced Drake team that we've already talked about a bunch. Very, very efficient in the mid-range. Very, very good at pick and roll, something Miami really struggles with defensively. So I love my hometown Drake Bulldogs, a plus two and a half. Love it. Yeah, can keep Miami out of transition, which is key. Maddie. Yeah, I did take Kent at four. So uh, perhaps it's foolish for me to pick Indiana in my bracket and actually have that be my best bet fading them. But I do. there's just such a low, low Maddie, chance. Maddie fence rider. This is the definition I'm, of it. You know, but if you have good balance, Tuck, you can please everybody. That's what I'm trying to do here. <laughs> I just don't see a scenario where this game is a blowout. I really don't. I think Kent State is amazing at keeping games really, really close. Um, but do they have enough shooting and shot making to get over the hump? I don't think so. I think plus four is a great bet, though. I'm going to go with Kennesaw State plus 11 and a half against Xavier. I think Xavier's defense has too many holes for this to become a complete blowout. Kennesaw State can score. They're well coached. They are veteran. They've been through wars together. And I think that their dribble penetration will work here. Their defense will keep Xavier on its toes. No Zach Fremantle kind of lowers the ceiling of that offense. And yeah, I think Kennesaw State can keep this close and profile is a pretty good pup. Let's go Owls. All right, that'll do it for us. And if you're looking for March Madness player props, two of the best in the biz, Sean Kerner and Nick Giffen, will have a special episode on player props out later today. And that'll be over at the Action Network podcast. So make sure you subscribe there if you're not already. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to... Maddie Cox, the three-man weave, and BJ for joining me. Thanks to our audio and video teams on the back end. Again, make sure you check out the Thursday betting preview if you haven't. And we will be live Thursday morning, 10.30 a.m. Eastern. Myself and three-man weave, Big Bets on Campus Live. Friday morning, 10.30 a.m. Eastern, Big Bets on Campus Live. Same with Saturday and Sunday. I'll be on with some others and Sean Kerner. Shout to our sponsor, BetMGM. It's time for us to go crack the books and stare at the clock until... Christmas morning arrives. We'll catch you all later. Cheers. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.